It's a wonderful delight to stand before you this morning and to have greeted many visitors this morning. Many of you are visiting with us today. Some of you perhaps are looking for a place to belong, and if you are, we'd love to work with us here at Bobby Branch, uh, meet one of our elders, and uh, try to get an opportunity to find out more about what we're doing. This morning, we're going to begin a series of five lessons on the life of Moses. The Bible has so many wonderful ways in which it teaches us, but the study of great characters deals with real people who have real problems and who are able to have real practical solutions in their own lives. You and I really need to study the lives of people whom God gave great tasks and also had great expectations from them. You and I can learn a lot from them and how they lived and what they did. Moses was one of those great biblical characters. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, And indeed Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 10 says, That there is not in risen in Israel a prophet like Moses. He was a special man who had great talent and ability. But he only got that talent and he only got that ability because he followed God's plan in his life. And I will tell you that there's a lot about the life of Moses that can apply to you and can apply to me. Now I'm going to use a theme verse in all of these lessons. It is found in the book of Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. The King James reading says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were on the face of the earth. If you're reading the New King James, you'll notice the word is translated humble. Humble. For just a few moments, I'd like to introduce our theme text before we go into this morning's lesson. When you think about Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, there is the source of a criticism that is leveled against Moses. Numbers chapter 12 verse 1 says, Then Moses and Aaron spoke against Moses. Miriam and Aaron were the brother and sister. They're the source of the criticism. You go to chapter 12 verse 1, the latter part of the verse, it says, Because he had married An Ethiopian woman. Ethiopian women were black. I don't know if it was the fact of her color. I doubt it. More likely because she was not one of the Israelites. And Moses had married outside the family. Is this Zipporah, his wife, or is this some other woman? We're not told. My opinion is it's likely Zipporah. But yet as you keep on reading, you realize there's a subplot of the criticism. There's a reason why they're really criticizing Moses. And it wasn't just that he had married an Ethiopian woman. We read in verse 2, So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. You learn that Miriam and Aaron are a little bit jealous 
of the position and of the prominence that Moses has developed. And so they begin to do, to say like, well, you know, aren't we just as important as he is? Have the Lord spoken through us? And then you have the specialness of the one criticized. As you drop down to verses 5 through 9, the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the door of tabernacle meeting and called Aaron and Miriam and said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings. You see, Moses was special. God called him. And I want to suggest to you that God prepared him for the great job which he was going to do. You may know that you go on and read, and Miriam was afflicted with leprosy because of this criticism, and Aaron had to suffer. If I were to go through, and I'm going to just simply skip most of this. This is discussing the words meekness. But to point out to you that there are two characteristics that are a part of meekness as is found in the Bible. They are, number one, humility and also self-control. In the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Solomon is trying to express to us, a person is great who is meek, who is humble, who will put others ahead of himself, who will control his temper, who will control the expression of his passion. Proverbs 25, verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So he tells everyone, don't depend upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So let me explain to you what we're going to try to do in this series of lessons. We're going to look through the book of Exodus. In fact, the book of Exodus is the background of our study for this next month. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to see as God takes a man and prepares him to be the leader that he wants him to be. And as we look at Exodus chapters 1 and 2, that's where our lesson is going to come from this morning, we're going to see several things arise. We're going to see the history of God's people. We'll look at that very briefly. We'll see the hate that was developed by the Egyptians toward the Israelites. Then we'll look at the heritage that Moses had, his mother, his father, Amram, and Jochebed. Then finally, to look at Moses as he is facing hard times and some hard choices. And then if time permits, we're going to look at some life lessons. Due to time, I'm not going to read the text. I'm just simply going to make reference to it. If you will, keep your Bibles open there to Exodus chapter 1. And as you look at verses 1 through 7, you will see that the children of Israel were there in Egypt. Particularly, verse 5 draws attention to the fact that there were 70 people there. And that the people, according to verse 7, 
increased abundantly and multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty. The nation was growing. If you go to the account in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is preaching this, he summarized it in one verse. He says, His descendants would dwell in a foreign land. They would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. All of what we have in the first part of the book of Exodus is summarized by saying they were oppressed for 400 years. I think what's amazing is the growth. You look at those first few verses, they start out with 70 people. By the time you get to Exodus 12, verse 37, there are 600,000 men on foot besides children. If you consider a wife and a couple of children, that means 2.4 million people now that have grown up and are ready to leave for the promised land. But I know in my mind, I'm always asking questions. Why is it that when... Jacob or Israel was in the promised land. Why go down to Egypt? Why stay there? Why not go ahead and give them the promised land then? And it's all because God is in control of history. He knows what he wants to happen and when he wants it to happen. In Genesis 15 and verse 16, But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You see, God is not just looking at one nation, whether it's Israel or whether it's Egypt. God's not just looking at the United States or the uh, other countries of the Middle East or other places. God sees us all interrelated. And the Amorites, their disobedience, their iniquity was not yet complete. God wanted to wait, and it took 400 years for that to take place. In Genesis 50, verse 20, as Joseph summarizes what his brothers has done, and they're thinking this is all our fault, and he says, No, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. God wanted to preserve many lives. It was because of the goodness of God that Egypt survived as a nation. When you begin going with verse 8 and go through verse 22 of chapter 1, you will find out that the people, the Egyptians, had developed a hatred for the Israelites. If you'll notice verse 10 particularly, they said, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they join our enemies and fight against us and they go up out of our land. What they did, they made their lives more difficult. Verse 13, they said they made them serve with rigor. That's harshness. They made them gather their own straw for their brick. And then you'll notice beginning with verse 15, they commanded the midwives to kill the children. That didn't work. So finally, Pharaoh commanded all the babies that were born to be cast into the river. That's verse 22. The beneficence of Joseph was no longer remembered. You see, he actually saved the nation of Egypt. Because of the famine that was going to come and his shrewd dealing of preparing ahead of time when they had seven years of plenty, he saved the nation. But all of his goodness for them was not remembered. 400 years, there's now a new Pharaoh. He doesn't appreciate what he has done. 
So their fear translated into hate. They tried population control. They were concerned about the military and the economic impact if these people were to leave, verse 10. They persecuted them. They made their lives harsh. They worked them daily. They worked them hard. And then there was infanticide. Kill the children. Kill the male children. Now if you'll go with me to chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 10. Brother Mike just read for us just a few moments ago some of the great details of that early life. The putting of Moses in an ark there in the water. And you'll notice that God provided a means of providence that Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby weeping. She went out because of her compassion, took the baby Moses and brought him to her house to raise as her son. She did provide, however, because Miriam was standing by so that she could go and call Jochebed, his mother, to be able to provide him the training. Now the parents, Amram and Jochebed, according to Exodus 6 and verse 20, were people of faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 23, we read, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. You see, there were good parents. They loved him. They saw that he was a good child. They didn't do what the government commanded them to do because to do so would have been wrong. And they weren't afraid of the king. Their faith was in God. They made provision for his protection. Not only did they hide him for three months, but there was an ark made and he was put in the edge of the reeds, the bulrushes there. I remember as a child hearing this story and thinking, well, they just didn't want Moses anymore. They put him in a little ark and floated him off. No, the putting him in the reeds was so that he would be there and be protected. Miriam was there watching to make sure nothing happened to him. But through the providence of God, not only did he receive that early childhood being nursed by his actual mother, Jochebed, but God also provided that he would be trained in all the art and the education of the Egyptians. In Acts chapter 7 and verses 21 and 22, But when he set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deeds. You imagine the education that he got. It would have been as good as anyone would have gotten. Now very quickly as we move to the hard times and the hard choices. You go to chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. And again, I'm not going to read the text, but I do want to draw attention to two or three things. You'll notice verse 11, he comes and he wants to see the burdens that his brethren are facing. And when you'll notice what is taking place, he observes an Egyptian beating an Israelite. He looks this way, he looks that way, and then he slays the Egyptian. Later on in verse 13, you find that there's another two Hebrews fighting with one another and he's trying to separate them and make peace. It's found out that he was the murderer of the Egyptian. 
He flees now to the land of Midian. And there he ends up serving his father-in-law Jethro and served there for a period of time. Now, according to Acts 7 and verse 23, it says, But when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Forty years old. The first 40 years of his life has been trained in all the ways of the Egyptians. He would have looked like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian, acted like an Egyptian, and in fact, when he goes into Midian and the daughters of Zipporah, reports to her fathers, we were helped by this Egyptian. But he had to make a hard choice. Do I stay with the people who have reared me where I could be able to enjoy all the pleasures of life or do I go with God's people? And according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God that, rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the roach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He made a hard choice. Somebody gives you a choice. What are you going to do? Are you going to serve God and enjoy? have to endure a tremendous amount of suffering for it? Are you going to enjoy the pleasures this world has to offer? But now I want to draw attention to one of the most important aspects of this lesson. I want you to listen as Stephen recounts this in Acts chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. He talks about seeing the one suffer wrong and about striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25 says, For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. You see, in Moses' mind, he's ready now to be a deliverer. He's 40 years of age. He's got the enthusiasm. He's got the uh, passion for it. But you know what? God said, You're not ready, Moses. You need 40 more years of training. And I'm going to send you to Midian and I'm going to see that you get some training in being a shepherd. Wow. In Acts 7 verses 29 and 30, Moses fled to become a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush. Oh, the burning bush passage. Forty years of training in Egypt wasn't enough. Now he has forty years of training in the wilderness. But God did not forget their bondage. In verses 23 through 25, we learn that God saw the bondage of the children of Israel. Now, very quickly, I'd like to talk about some life lessons from what we have just briefly surveyed. God's plans often take Many years to develop, but he still keeps his promises. I don't know about you, but sometimes I am very impatient. I want things to happen to happen quickly. But you know, that's not the way God works. 
In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Four hundred years from the time that the children of Israel went into Egypt is when they come out. Moses thought 40 years was enough for his training. No, it required 40 more. We have to realize God doesn't always work on our time schedule. Number two, ungodly people do not respect the lives of all men, and particularly the innocent. When I read the book of Jonah, what do I see? I see a man who is so wrapped up in himself that when he sees the people of Nineveh, he can't appreciate they have souls too, and their lives are precious. When James and John are traveling with our Lord to Jerusalem and they come to a Samaritan city and the Samaritans refuse Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire out of heaven and consume them as Elijah did? And notice verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You see, the world looks and sees people as disposable. And it doesn't matter if you murder the life of an unborn innocent child because after all, everybody just wants pleasure, everybody just wants profit. No, godly people respect the lives of all. Number three, we, like Moses, are the product of our life experiences. You think about his parentage. You think about his rearing. You think about our friends and the influence that others have on us that make us who we are. And yes, there are some people who go through some struggles in life that are challenging. Since Coretta worked with foster children for several years, you see many of them whose lives are full of distrust. They're full of rage. They're angry. They've had difficult problems they've had to face. But you know what? Everyone has the choice, like Moses did, to choose to do right. Whatever the circumstances one finds himself. Number four, one can often think himself ready when he's not. How many times have some of us found ourselves thinking, I am ready for this job, I can do this task, when no, we're not ready. Moses thought when he was 40 he was ready, but he wasn't. Peter, according to Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, thought that he was ready to stand with the Lord in the persecution that he would face. Verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before three times you will deny me. Peter thought he was ready. He wasn't. Sometimes in life, you and I may find ourselves feeling like I can take care of this. I can handle this. And someone tells us, no, you're not ready. And then some of us say, well, I thought I was ready. Number five, 
sometimes one has to learn patience, self-control, and dependence on God through suffering. Moses had to learn some of these things. He had to suffer them. He had to endure them to appreciate it. Hebrews chapter 5 talks about Jesus. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Chapter 2 verse 10 said that he was made the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Moses was being prepared by God to lead his people. God wanted to raise him up. But in order for him to do so, Moses needed to learn meekness and humility before God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you and I need to learn meekness and humility before God? Do you think we need to learn to humble ourselves and say, God, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I will do. I will go where I need to go. I will do what I need to do. And I will serve where you want me to serve. Do I need to hold my passions in check? Even when people around me, whether it is my brother and my sister criticizing me or whether it is others criticizing me and learn to turn things over to God and let Him be the guide in my life. In 2 Timothy 2, 24, And the servant of the Lord must learn not to quarrel, but to be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God will perhaps grant to them repentance so that they may know the truth. You want to be a leader that God will be proud of? Learn humility. Learn meekness. And then God can use you. If you'll get your songbook out and we're going to sing the song of encouragement... In order for you and I to be what we ought to be, we have to submit ourselves to the will of God. You and I have to say, Lord, tell me what I need to do, and that is what I will do. And what the Lord says is that we must believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, John 8, verse 24. We must repent of our sins, turn our back on the sins that we have committed and and change our lives. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. We must confess with our mouth that He is Lord. As He said, Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. And then to be baptized in water for the remission of our sins. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It may be this morning that some of you need to be baptized. Don't wait. Don't put it off. When we sing the encouragement song, song of invitation, come forward. We'll allow you to sit on the front, and then after the song, we'll baptize you. And if you're a Christian who needs to correct some problems that are in your life, we'll pray with you. If you need to come in either way, would you come as we stand and sing?